Well, hello and welcome to today's episode of Q on Q. Whether you've tuned in to a previous episode and are a return listener, or whether you're listening for the first time, welcome. I'm glad you're here. For this week's episode, there is a note guide available for you. I encourage you to download it and follow along and fill it in as we go. It's available now at our website, qonq.com. Well, today is part two of the series I started last time on the topic of guardrails. If you weren't able to tune in last time, I encourage you to go back and listen, but here's a brief summary of what we've discussed so far. Guardrails in our lives are an important and complex topic. Guardrails are defined as a protective railing along a path, road, or stairway, or a safety barrier used to keep you from harm's way. And most of us take them for granted, but guardrails are important barriers between us and certain danger. A lot of troubles or troubling events in our lives could have probably been avoided or minimized if we had guardrails or boundaries. It's the old one thing leads to another idea. For some of us, guardrails are good habits. For others, they're trustworthy friends or spiritual leaders. And for others, they're scriptures. And for many of us, they are the inward nudging of the Holy Spirit. And some of us think we don't need guardrails until something happens that is bad or involves regret. Suddenly, what was just something fun to do or a pastime or what we thought was a single isolated thought or event becomes a pathway that has the potential to wreck and ruin your life. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we rely on Him to take us to a whole new level. And instead of having to fight our own battles, we are called to allow the Holy Spirit to take up residence and do a work in us. The Holy Spirit taps on our conscience and our experience leads us to make wise decisions, make smart plans, and be obedient to God's will. And those are guardrails. Now today I want to take a little look at how to identify and establish personal guardrails in your life, both internal feelings from the Holy Spirit and the things and people around you that can serve as guardrails. There's a statement that many of us don't consider when it comes to things or experiences that could be prevented by guardrails, and most of them center around a lie. Something like, oh, one drink can't hurt, or it's just a text message, or If I just take another pill, that'll help with the pain. I shared the idea that one thing leads to another. Well, in this case, one lie most often leads to another lie. And lies dig us holes, holes we must get out of, usually with other lies. And the more we tell those lies or live those lies out, the bigger the hole becomes and the harder it is to dig our way out. Let's start with one of the biggest lies to ever exist in the book of Genesis. The most classic example is the first recorded sin of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were given a very clear truth from their creator. If you eat the fruit, you will die. Then they were told a lie, and they believed the lie, and God confronted them. Adam tells God that they hid because they were naked and afraid. We'll pick up in Genesis 3, starting at verse 11, and this is the NIV. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The devil's lie seemed believable and, in fact, realistic and oh so appealing. You see, the devil's devices are not always, actually most of the time they aren't, pitchforks and flames and a pointy tail. Instead, they're often disguised as things that are appealing, 
desirable, the most beautiful thing sometimes that we've ever seen. All the devil has is lies, and he paints the picture of deception oh so well with the appeal of immediate gratification. His whole intent is for you to stop believing the truth, to stop trusting in Jesus, and live a life separate from what God has destined you to be. He wants you to essentially invent your own truth and believe it is what you are supposed to be doing. Everything the devil throws at you is appealing, is a lie, and is immediate. And sometimes it twists what the actual truth is to make you believe it. So how does this pertain to guardrails? Well, it's setting up these types of protections in our lives that prevent us from believing these types of lies, that keep us out of situations where we want to see these type of things as appealing or even necessary. We are called to find our identity in the fact that God loves us so much that he came here to pick us up out of our sin, dust us off, redeem us, and put us in a path as if we never believed the lie to begin with. Even Adam and Eve were given a way out. We need to have faith that God loves us, forgives us, and has our best interest in mind with the path he has forged for us. So what tangible things can you use to help you in these situations? Well, the biggest thing is to put yourself in a scenario where it is extremely difficult to hear the voice of the enemy. Surround yourself with people who keep telling you the truth and create healthy habits for yourself and establish systems of discipline. Let's talk about people first. The reason we need guardrails relationally, whether it be with coworkers, friends, even family members, is because very often the folks we meet along life's path are genuinely part of our biggest regrets. You might be tempted to think, wow, you're being judgmental about my friends and family and people who've been in my life a long time. No, this is not about me being judgmental. It's about exercising good judgment, and there is a big difference between the two. Being judgmental is us forming an opinion about somebody else, what other people do, what we like and don't like about others. We judge each other's behavior or maybe come to a conclusion about how they should act or behave. On the other hand, good judgment is more about self. It's about making good decisions in light of past experiences, our current circumstances, or our future. Deciding what is the wisest thing for us to do and us alone. Judgmental assumes something about others, while good judgment is making good decisions for yourself. Think about this. When you were a kid, your parents or grandparents or whoever had responsibility for you might have been paying such close attention to your friends and who you hung out with, even though it didn't always seem like it. Maybe they read your diary behind your back or eavesdropped on your phone calls, and those of us who didn't have our own phones when we were younger, that is. Today, it would be like checking your friends list on social media or reading through your texts. If you're a parent today, you might be exactly the same way, right? Well, some of us are. Do you know why that is? Some of us look back on who we hung out with, and we want to make sure our kids either have or don't have the same types of friendships and relationships, depending on what we experienced. We want the best for our kids. So as parents, why do we act that way? Because we care. It's not that we're trying to tell other parents how to raise their kids or other kids how to live their lives, though sometimes I'm sure some of us want to, but no, that would be being judgmental. It's because we care so much about the child God has put in our homes that we want the absolute best for them. 
Our friends and who we choose to surround ourselves with have a profound effect on determining the direction and quality of our lives. The thing that makes friendship so wonderful is also the thing that makes it so dangerous. It's easy to relate to people you have stuff in common with or you get along with, but at the same time, when you're around those people, you relax. You tend to let down your guard. And with good Christian friends in responsible and loving environments, that's safe. But in other environments, or at times when we feel susceptible and maybe feel low or feel we need a change, that can be dangerous. We're all drawn to environments where we feel accepted. And if those are good environments, great. If they're not, that's not so great. And there are scientific studies that show you when you start to spend a whole lot of time with the same people, whether you adopt their behaviors or not, your brain waves tend to look an awful lot alike. And that shows us that who you choose to spend your time with is oh so powerful. Now, don't take this as me saying you should never associate with people who are different behavior-wise or have different moral beliefs or habits than ones you would question. Those of faith are called to reach the lost, and we certainly shouldn't judge others for the choices they make in their lives. But when we hang out in those groups, we must make sure that our guardrails are in place. Is our faith so strong? Is our moral fortitude so developed that we can work with, celebrate with, and hang out with other folks in this way? Friends who don't take care of themselves won't take care of you. Friendship requires some guardrails. And remember, the point of having a guardrail in friendship isn't to keep you from hanging out with people. It's to keep you from entering that area of danger. Let me take a different spin on it. Take a look at churches. It's easy to feel welcomed at a church when the folks at the door are greeting you with big smiles. It's even easier to feel apart when you realize that the people there are just like you and aren't afraid to admit it. They're sinners with a story to tell and a testimony to give. But how many houses of worship are full of people just playing church, putting on smiles for an hour on Sundays, then going back to a different way of life as soon as they walk out the door? When we see that, when we surround ourselves with that, what kind of impact does that have on us and our faith walk? All in all, it comes back to making wise decisions. In Proverbs 13, Solomon spoke on the value of correction and just how important it is to make wise decisions, especially when it comes to the people you value your time with. In verse 20, he shares perhaps the most important point about why decisions are so important. He writes this, and this is the English Standard Version. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You notice it doesn't say, don't make foolish decisions because you'll be a fool. He goes much stronger than that and gives a very stern warning that if you choose the foolish path, there's much more to deal with than just a dumb decision because repeated foolish actions become more than that. They can become harmful with long-lasting effects. Do you have the right people in your life to say you walk with the wise? Do you have friends that live morally upstanding lives, encourage you and support you and check in on you? Do you have spiritual leaders who live out what they preach? When you realize that your core group of friends is going in a direction different than you'd like to move in, that's a guardrail. When you find yourself agreeing on the outside with things that you don't agree with on the inside, that's a warning signal. When somebody is pressuring you to compromise and it becomes a real temptation to you, it may be time to move in a different direction. 
And if you're married, what about guardrails in your relationship with your spouse? Well, you might be saying, we love each other and trust each other 100%. Why do I need guardrails in my marriage? Easier said than done, right? Well, this is the area where culture baits us to the edge of disaster more than any other. God has given us an extraordinary gift of special intimacy with our spouse that our culture has twisted and used and abused. And abusing this type of intimacy will make you a liar and a secret keeper for life, unlike anything else. I listen to the Dave Ramsey show every couple days, and I heard a person last week who said she'd been married for 20 years, but she and her husband still had separate bank accounts. And it wasn't for a business or really any valid reason other than her money was hers and his money was his. (sighs) Yeah. The special intimacy of marriage is more than the physical intimacy. It's the deep connection, the unity, the sharing, the oneness that makes marriage so wonderful. But it's also deeper than that. It's making habits, following behaviors, and setting boundaries to keep your marriage that unified. Things like praying with your spouse. How many of us keep our prayer time to ourselves so we can pray about things that we don't want our spouse to hear? Another example, not treating your spouse disrespectfully. Our pastor jokes about having intense fellowship with his wife. And yeah, there's times we disagree, but we should never, ever take it to a level of disrespect. And what about keeping your family issues within your family versus sharing them on social media and spreading them to everyone? And I'm not talking about asking friends for prayer or sharing with trusted people or those in covenant. I'm talking about taking the sometimes smallest and honestly stupidest things and letting Facebook have a say in it. Just like guardrails don't take the fun away from driving, guardrails in your marriage don't take the fun away from the special, intimate relationship you've developed with your spouse. They give you great protection and freedom to allow you to take the journey through life together, closer, and in a more proactive manner, so you can look ahead rather than being reactive when things go wrong. When you feel the pressure to be someone other than who you really want to be, that's a guardrail. And we can feel this way not just because of the people in our lives, but also based on the things we choose to participate in and the habits we carry. There are guardrails we place on ourselves by choice, often because of or through life experiences. We often learn to develop habits in our lives or surround ourselves with things that allow us to, quote, take responsibility for ourselves. To put this in a literal sense, it could be something like this. Today's rainy and windy. So I'm going to drive a little slower and be more cautious. That's intentional behavior. The stove was just on, so I'm going to remind my kids not to touch it. Now, we may have had an accident from past experience or got a small burn or brush with heat, but these experiences reinforce the importance of the guardrails of good habits and having developed behaviors where we take ownership of guardrails and make them real. So how do we build our personal set of guardrails? Well, the first suggestion I can make is to identify areas in your life where guardrails are needed or could be most essential. Do you need to spend less time on social media? Do you need to watch less violent programming on TV? Are you getting stressed out about a situation and need to step away for a bit? Identifying and naming the places where you have the most need is first priority. I found an easy way to do that is to either talk with a trusted friend or spiritual leader and have them document your discussion so you can look back on it later, or literally audio record yourself brainstorming or jot down in a journal what comes to mind. Literally just let your thoughts flow. And when you do this, 
Be honest with yourself. Don't just say or list things because you feel obligated to make guardrails happen or someone is forcing you. The more open and honest you are about needing these types of things, the more beneficial they will prove to be. Then, develop action steps for establishing a guardrail. How does that work? Think of it like steps or goals that come in stages. Try to come up with practical and reasonable things first that you can do to develop a guardrail. Notice I didn't say start with the hard choices, the clear cutoff, or building a brick wall. Start with small steps and figure out things you can implement right away to help you reach your goal. Then, list steps you can follow to help you develop your behavior change into a habit. For example, if you need to step away from a stressful situation or relationship, maybe you start by lessening communication or in-person time spent with that individual. Notice I didn't say cut it off. Lesson at first. If you need to be less tempted to go to the casino every day after work, maybe develop a different travel route to and from work so it won't be a temptation. I didn't say avoid the area completely. If you need to spend less time on social media, maybe you take time you usually spend in your day doing that and block it off for another task. Read your Bible, doing a devotional, or praying would be a good start. Notice I didn't say quit Facebook. And last, allow your behavior change to become a habit, no matter what other people may say. Sometimes we make changes in our personal lives that others don't agree with, and I've heard friends who may have shared our past behaviors say, well, we don't hang out anymore, or you've changed, and we feel pressured, even for a moment, to hang out with them or even return to the way we were before. Well, when it's for the better, it's okay to let them say that, even if it means you spend less time with them. I've heard the old adage many times that if you repeat a behavior for 21 consecutive days, it has a 90% chance of becoming a habit. And habits are hard to break. So if it's for a good reason, if you're developing effective and beneficial guardrails for your life, allow the change to happen. Realize this is your choice, not your friends, family, or coworkers. God has called us to live our lives for him. Others may tell you what to do, but you are the one that at the crunch time has to make the decision. Take personal ownership. Jesus went up against a lot of people who tried to go against him, but he reminded us time and time again why the wise choice was better than the popular one and can be life-altering not only for us, but those around us and the generations to come. Take this word from Luke 7 verse 35, and this is the amplified version. Yet wisdom is vindicated and shown to be right by all her children, by the lifestyle, moral character, and good deeds of her followers. Wisdom always has the last word. Wisdom is proved right by its outcome. And establishing personal guardrails when it comes to people and things, it isn't about being against those other things or those people. It's about your future. It's not a lack of love, but more an expression of love. By staying in the safe zone, you are able to be the one that helps the very people who are trying to pull you past the guardrails. Choose to be the wise one. I pray these things can help you reflect on guardrails in your own life, and if you need to develop them or reevaluate them, look back on the suggestions I've outlined so you can start identifying and establishing needed guardrails in your life, even today. Next time, we'll wrap up the guardrail series and talk about how to develop guardrails in a more literal and practical part of everyday life, including your finances, your calendars, and more. I really do appreciate you taking time to tune in this week. 
Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here next time when we'll have more for you on cue.